Joe Sports Time 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Jesse Rubinoff in for Brent Gunning. Leafs took care of California, no problem. That was a road trip they had issue with last season. It came in November last year, though, but they won none of the games mm-hmm. against these same teams in California Does last year. Does it either year. sweep or they get swept? That's right. So, yeah, like it doesn't matter that the no Sharks stinks, the Sharks stink, and that the Ducks stink. Like, that's it's it's something different for this team that they can go through uh, a three-game California trip and pick up all six points. They need it right now, too. Like, I don't know. Is it too early to be looking at the standings? I, I, I'm doing that. It's January 8th, but, like, after Leaf wins, after Leaf losses, like, I, I do look at where they they sit in the Atlantic Division. And right now it's still third at 47 points. They're now three points up on the Red Wings, who are in fourth, and, and the Lightning now in fifth in the Atlantic Division. The Leafs have games in hand on everybody. They've only played 37. They're five points back of the Panthers, who are absolutely a ball of flame right now. They're, they they won seven consecutive <laughs> And two of those wins have come against the defending champs in the Vegas Golden Knights. One of them against that same Kings team. Like they have played, they, they beat the Avalanche and they're putting up giant goal totals. This is a team <laughs> that the Leafs just lost to in five games with Sergei Bobrovsky standing on his head and that Panthers team appearing like the prototypical playoff team, right? They, they have that Ugh. physical element to them. Right now they'd be locked into a, a, a two, three matchup against them, except as opposed to last year where they did have home ice advantage, didn't necessarily serve them well. They would be on the road for the first two games of this series. Does that, does that interest, are you interested in the Leafs Panthers rematch, Jesse? No, I'm having flashbacks to game three. What a horrible performance by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, look, the reality is they're going to be playing someone good. It it doesn't matter. Like the Panthers are, uh, you said it seven in a row. They look unbelievable. And the Bruins, it doesn't make any sense. Like I, I just don't understand how you can lose. Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci and just continue to just stack up wins. Like they're seven. I know they've played like one more game, but they're seven points yep. ahead of the Leafs. Like, how is it even possible? It feels like the Leafs for the most part have had a pretty good season. Like even when they've been bad, they've been able to get some points, but the Bruins are seven points up. Yeah, so stupid. either way, you're going to be playing someone good. So I, yeah, I, I never felt like even when the Leafs were going through a little bit of the the struggle there, and you know, playing a lot of overtime and shootout games, I never really felt like the playoffs was in doubt. Like they feel like they're too talented. Yeah, and they'll eventually and they look figure good it out. against those good teams, right? right. Like they, I know they split those two games that the Rangers just played recently, but they they've hung in there against the the Bruins. Like they they played well yeah. against the good teams this season. It's like frustrating more than anything, right? Because you you feel like they're so they're good enough that they're good. They're always going to make the playoffs, but you, you want them to look good and they haven't always looked good. So that's been the frustration, but yeah, they're going to have to play someone good. Like, it's almost like, I don't want to say the, the, the 50 games from here on out or whatever it is, 40 something games is irrelevant, yeah. but in a sense it is because you're, you're going to be playing either the Panthers, the Bruins, or I don't know, the lightning, like you're playing yeah. a good team. Sorry. I mean, I mean, the lightning are, are what they have two teams, three teams ahead of them to, to catch, to get into a wild card spot in the Eastern conference. And like, I guess like we got, we got to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and Andre Vasilevsky figuring it out, I guess. I, I would prefer, like, if I had my druthers, and it does feel like the the way they've deployed Martin Jones and the minutes totals that they've given Austin Matthews and William Nylander, especially in that Ducks game where they were chasing the two points, that they care about where they finish in the standings. And they are interested in either having home ice advantage in a first-round matchup against the Panthers or, or, or God forbid, winning the first division title in, <laughs> in, this, in this era, catching the Bruins and then yeah. getting... 
maybe a, a Metro team in the first round, whether it be the right now it's the Islanders and the Devils that are in the wild card spots. That's why Jones played. I, that's that's it. what it felt like, yeah, yeah. right? It's it's the Ducks. If they are of the belief, and I think they should be, just like you said, that they're going to be in the playoffs. It's And, of course, all that matters for this team is what happens in the postseason. Who cares? Like, ultimately, if they win the division or win the President's Trophy, like, who cares if they go out in the first round or even the second round at this point now that they've gotten over their first round hurdle. But, yeah, th- this team, I think, indicated to us whether it be Sheldon Key for Brad for Living, the way they deployed Martin Jones in the back half of back-to-backs, and I get it, they don't have a ton of options, but also Martin Jones is like, right now your meal ticket, that they're playing him in back-to-back games because they want the two points because they're interested in going on a run here standings-wise. Yeah, I think they want to always have the easiest road that they possibly can. I mean, careful what you wish for because we remember back to the postseason series against the Blue Jackets and the, the Habs. Like, those are the ones I think... If you're looking back on the his, the recent history of the Leafs in the postseason, like, yeah, it's one thing to lose to the Bruins or the Lightning or mm-hmm. even the Panthers who are on an otherworldly heater yeah. during the postseason. Like, that's, yeah, tough pill to swallow to lose, but those teams were really, really good. When I look back on the Habs and the Blue Jackets, like, those are the ones that absolutely should not yeah. have happened. Habs you got goalied so- by Carey Price in that one. But nah, no, honestly, I, the, the Habs one I even I view differently than the Blue Jackets one because, well, one, it was bizarre times actually for both. Yes. But like the that that Leafs team that lost to the Blue Jackets in five games in what is I guess now retroactively been called a playoff series because I thought we weren't calling it a playoff series, but now it is. Uh, the the play in qualification yeah, tournament, whatever the heck, that yeah, was. that they forced uh, Game Five after the insane comeback in Game Four. Like that was a bad Leafs team. Like mm-hmm. that team was not buying at the deadline. They were like. Hey, anyone want a Tyson Berry? Right. And the league was like, no, we're good, thanks. <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, they, they they lost to, like, a very mediocre Blue Jackets team, but that was a very mediocre, mediocre Leafs team. team. Sure. sure. Yeah, they've had much better regular seasons uh, since then, and it uh, continues to be a good regular season, especially after the three consecutive victories after three straight losses. All right, let's, uh, let's talk to our pal, Gord Stelic, uh, our Leafs insider here on the Fan Morning Show. How's it going, Gordo? Happy New Year, Ben and Jesse. Uh, Happy New Year. Same to you. (sighs) Wait, I can't believe you you almost had me say it's January 8th and we've done this already. I get it. No, I get it. You're you're poking the bear. Well done. Well done, Gordo. That's it. All right. It is is January 8th. So, and I just admitted to the fact that I'm looking at the standings already. I know we're not yet at the the all-star break, but like I am interested you know, to see where the Leafs end up uh, as far as the Atlantic Division standings are concerned and who their first-round matchup is. And it's just, yeah, they're, they're locked into a matchup against the Panthers team that looks better than the one that just barely made the playoffs last year but made it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Like, are you looking at the standings? Is it, is it an outrageous act for me to be looking at the standings on January, what did I say, the 8th? Yeah, no, no. You know, but but it's funny, last year, Ben, like it was, what, what a weird season last year that you knew it was going to be Tampa Bay like in November. And then you knew in December it was going to be home ice against Tampa Bay. Right. You know that's so. I mean that was that was really you know very very predictable. So I mean I, I do that as well. But certainly there's a lot more fluidity right now. I mean boy oh boy there's such a, a battle for playoff spots. I mean here they win three games last week and you're going wow they should be home and cooled out. Well no actually they're not. They're not anything but home and cooled out. And and had they you know had a bad road trip all of a sudden they're again battling for wild card spots of that. So. There's a little bit of both. You can start, you know, looking and, and hypothesizing who they're going to play. But also, if uh, too much of that happens, they could all of a sudden be clamoring, scratching, clawing for mm-hmm. a final playoff spot. 
Uh, we're going to get to William Nylander in a second, Gore, but uh, what can you glean from a road trip in which the Leafs, you know, historically haven't had the greatest time out West, but they certainly looked really good in, in against the Kings, who are a really good team, but then taking care of business against some weaker foes who they've certainly had uh, issues with over the course of the season. Is there anything you could take away from a, a pretty good stretch out West for the Leafs? Yeah, you know, Jesse, all kinds of positives in that, just like you talked about. First, they've had this... Uh, uh, ability to play down to their opponents. So they went and beat teams. I mean, Los Angeles isn't a team you're supposed to beat, but I mean, two of the three you are. So they went out, probably played their most consistent, best kind of road hockey, road game hockey of the year. Um, I think, of, I mean, the LA Kings stuck it to them pretty good at Scotiabank Arena earlier in the year. I mean, they yeah. really did. They, that, that was a dominant, dominant performance. So I thought, not that you have to have a statement game, but I thought that was important that the one other visit they have that they, they played that way. And, and it's funny, you know, you, you know, last year around the trade deadline, um, all the big trades that were made and really at the end of it, the, the, the best pickup was uh, the least, uh, least talked about one, Luke Shen coming over the way he played and all the free agent signings. And now the most important ones proven to been when they needed Martin Jones, you know, just that when they kind of like last year, if you remember last year in December, uh, there was like every defenseman was out, it seemed, about three or four significant injuries, yeah. including Morgan Riley. And they, they weathered that storm. You know, even God rest his departed soul, Justin Hall played well. Giordano played more. And they, uh, they didn't have to make that trade that you had to make to get a body. And in this case, Martin Jones has kind of put that off that with Joe Wall hurt, Samsonoff um, unable to stop a puck right now that you know, Brad Living may have had to do something, and Martin Jones has come when you really needed him to play. You know, something like, say, not picking on Michael Hutchinson, but he wasn't able to do his brief time as a Leaf when he was needed. Yeah, and, and maybe that's what you would get out of Dennis Hill to be, is like some Michael Hutchinson um, uh, replication, but maybe not. Like, I do, I, t- I tend to think that, especially considering the opposition, especially considering this the way this team is playing, as a unit defensively giving up just one five-on-five goal over those three games in California, that if you're going to get Dennis Hill to be into into the crease on the weekend in one of those games in the back-to-backs against Colorado and Detroit, that I'd give him the start tomorrow, but I I was also calling for him to get the start in Anaheim and then again if he wasn't (laughs) going to get the start in Anaheim on Saturday against San Jose. So, like, this is well-trod ground for me. Like, where are you on... Dennis Hill to be getting into a game, or do you just do the thing like, okay, now Ilya Samsonov has had the reset. The the Marlies next play on Friday, so maybe he doesn't get into a game at all with the Marlies, but you're like hopeful that he's had a full reset and that he can, you know, he can play one game every couple of weeks and and he gets called back up for the weekend. How how do you how do you figure the Leafs deploy their goaltending the next week? Yeah, you know, at first when he he didn't play, I'm I'm kind of saying, well, if if you have no, you don't have confidence in a guy on your NHL roster to play, then you got to go get somebody. And mm-hmm. so I don't think that's the case. Because then then the other sa- uh, side, Ben, I've always said I've never quite get why everyone is married that you have to have two goaltenders uh, in back to back. So like, why not go with a hot hand? And that's the case that happened. And really, driving to Anaheim is less traffic than battling rush hour traffic from Scotiabank Arena, depending where you live. So there was really no trip involved just a short bus ride. So I thought, okay, they really need wins. They do. And uh, he was going with a hot hand. I, di- I didn't look at it as any, you know, uh, lack of confidence in Hildebeeva. So I don't know if he's around. I look forward to seeing him. I, I guess he'll be the tallest goaltender in Leafs history the moment he plays. I'm not 100% sure on that, but pretty big guy. And uh, he's, he, he's not, he, he wasn't t- ticketed to be in the NHL yet. Let's make no bones about mm-hmm. it. I mean, this, this is not how you like to have your goaltending depth set up that a guy like that is right now being rushed after his first good American Hockey League half season or third of a season rushed to the NHL. But 
hey, there's always different circumstances that you either seize it early on or sometimes you don't get it till later. Uh, the big uh, other uh, Leafs news, uh, pretty much coming off the ice, William Nylander reported uh, the deal's close, is what we know. Uh, AAV around $11.5 million scored. We already have a, a Swedish newspaper that's reporting it's done, but nothing uh, official. Uh, where do you land on a deal with William Nylander that looks to be a, a hefty price tag? I mean, the guy's on pace for 120 points, so he's done his part in terms of earning the money that he wants in a contract like that. But nonetheless, it is a steep price to pay for a team that already pays numerous guys, double digit figures. Like that's a lot of money to pay for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but it's hard to argue that William Nylander isn't worth that kind of money. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you articulated it quite well. They're stuck. They're stuck. They dug themselves a hole. The moment they signed John Tavares, and it's not so much that. It's Kyle Dubas at that point. I felt there was an understanding that all the other players were in line about what they were going to get. And there was an opportunity missed because the understanding is Matthews would have signed that week. You could then, that would have predicated maybe accelerating Marner's situation. He waited on Nylander and uh, the clock ticked and it worked in Nylander's favor. So it's always been set up that they've been, to me, the cap number, they've been a little bit euchred how they handled it. So be it. They're all ex- excellent players. It's not like there's a, uh, a negative player about that. They play up to their abilities. But, you know, in, in the cap, it's, it's kind of like your Visa bill or, or, or MasterCard bill coming. And, you know, you're screwed. You've you got 1000 left on your limit. You know, whatever <laughs> it may be. And, you know, you can't, you can't get it down. That kind of reality. So um, that's, uh, that's uh, he, 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 as we talk about, he, he, uh, he gambled on himself and he won. And good on him. <laughs> And let's see what Brad Living can do. Can, how creative can he be with the whatever cap money is left? And, and obviously mm. the cap's going to go up, but you got Matthew's contract. you got a lot there. So I think it's great having him back in the fold. Uh, obviously, you know, the cap situation, the one team that has a disproportionate amount of money on their top four forwards, uh, that will continue. Yeah, I'm a Diners Club uh, card guy myself. But um, <laughs> So, I mean, maybe you disagree, but it, it does feel like the way the Mitch Marner contract negotiations played out and the, the number that was associated with him, and I, I know he's a 99-point guy a season ago, but the, it, it has altered the conversation around the player. Um, William Nylander was on an incredible deal when it comes to value, which is hilarious considering all the discourse that surrounded him when he pushed the Leafs into December, signing that deal as a restricted free agent. Do you, do you believe that, you know, being the second highest paid Toronto Maple Leafs player and maybe making more than David Pasternak, who scored 61 goals a season ago, changes the conversation around William Nylander? Uh, I mean, hey, you, you debate about it. David Pasternak's had a, had a better career than William Nylander to date. So uh, I don't like eight-year contracts as well. But, I mean, that just goes with the territory right now. So, uh, well, the conversation will be this kind of season he's having right now uh, hopefully he's not a one-off. Mm. If if he's found a, a newer uh, you know air uh, to play it and a newer level level that he can play and can maintain that consistency, then then no problem. Uh, if he goes back to uh, which still was a really good William Nylander, but going back to playing kind of second fiddle to the the big three, then uh, then you know that's that's a problem. That's that's not as good a contract. But right now he's certainly showing he's as good as David Pasternak, and you know timing is everything in that case. Mm. You know you sign it, you move on. And you hope you get the best out of the player. 
I mean, we don't know, and, and I'll ask Frank Sarvelli. Maybe you know. I shouldn't say we don't know. You know many things. Maybe you do know whether Brad Tree Living, like how close uh, they were in contract negotiations before the season. All reports were they weren't very, but that, you know, it was like, oh, my goodness, he's asking for double-digit millions of dollars in a contract uh, extension, uh, and we scoffed at that. Uh, and lo and behold, he's, he's going to make uh, many more millions than that. Um, retroactively, Gord, if that was, was the case, is it hard not to – to look back at, at Brad Treliving's uh, unwillingness, perhaps, to go to a, the, the financial spot that he's eventually been forced into as, as, as a mistake on his part? No, no. I mean, first and foremost, the Austin Matthews deal was the one that had to get done, and this, this, was, on, this was on the back burner, and certainly Treliving, with what happened with Jonathan Huberto and how, how the kind of the trickle-down effect there uh, happened in Calgary, is aware about, you know, trying to handle this right, get this done, uh, not wait till the 11th hour. So I, I think there was kind of an understanding that, okay, if you think you're worth that money, William Nylander, prove it. And he proved it. So there you go. So I, 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 don't, I don't have a problem. Again, his problem now Bradshaw Living has is um, something he inherited from Kyle Dubas, something that was no one's fault because of the pandemic, that the cap, you know, was a basically level for about three, four years when, you could have, you should have expected, and realistically, it was going to go up what four or five million a season. So uh, that's the challenge. And right now, it's shown that having the top four players make that disproportionate amount of money um, equals not playoff success. And that's the thing that you hope to change. They that's the thing around. that's got to change. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yes, yes, they did win a round, and I, I like that they won a round. And then the first three games about against Florida, they showed up disinterested, yeah. which is the thing that pisses you off. And that's why when you look back, at, okay, people that are old enough, 1993, the point being is the Leafs battle to losing game seven to the L.A. Kings. That's the way you want to go out of a playoff. You want to remember that kind of battle versus finally waking up in game number four against Florida where it's too late. Well, how the heck do they build a team next year? Like That's the thing I keep coming back to is if you're not going to pay – Nylander, whatever it is, $11.5 million. John Tavares' contract isn't up until the end of next year. I understand you have the Max Domies and the Tyler Bertuzzi's of the world who, you know, you may end up letting them go after a year of their service, but nonetheless, you're going to need to fill in those gaps with other guys. So it's it's been unprecedented up to this point with the amount of players that they've paid significant money up front but it's going to be even more unprecedented next year until they can renegotiate some of the deals coming off the books at the end of next year like how do they do it court yeah yeah jesse well first of all if they have a great playoff then people kind of just hey we'll ride the summer right, and you know right. whatever see what gives it, it, the problem won't go away and the pro- part of the problem is that you know in kyle dubas's case around trade deadline a lot of draft picks were traded away like a team that should have been at least in a Stanley Cup final or conference final by now. I mean, they made those kind of trades year in, year out, giving up a first or second. So the point being is you don't have enough Matthew Nyes, like players that are coming, and the first three years at their entry-level salary, which is the way you can mitigate the cap, uh, you know, balance the cap out by having quality young players that can develop from within that can actually play in the NHL. And, and you know, I don't know if, the, if there's another one or two that can next year, but that's one way, but there's no question. I mean, that's going to be next year, but there's no question that's that's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, it does help if you're spending less than $2 million bucks on goaltending, like two goaltenders, which, which might be the case. We'll see. Well, and you hope there's a bunch of Michael Buntings from Arizona or something. I mean, those kind of those kind of signings, one or two of those, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, you know, or, or a Luke Shen at his money last year that Simon came on Benoit. and was healthy. Well, there, there, hey, there you go. 
There you go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one or two of those. That That's a really good example. Yeah, Simon Benoit, Martin Jones. Uh, yeah, I mean, we may quibble about the 11.5 that's headed William Nylander's way, but hard to argue, argue with uh, Brad Living's moves uh, in a couple of different respects down the uh, down the lineup. Gordo, happy new year. See ya. <laughs> okay, I won't do it. I won't do it next week, gentlemen. Have <laughs> yeah, a great right. week, okay? See ya. Thanks, yeah. Gord. There's Gord Stelic, our uh, Leafs insider here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. All right, so, like, where are you on the perception thing? Because, like, yeah, Mitch Marner should be beloved here, right? He's a hometown guy, 99-point guy, and this year the yeah, some the counting stats are down, but also, like, the fancy stats are also down, and also the eye test is down on William on uh, Mitch Marner. But but I the perception around the player did change when he pushed the Leafs to such a point financially yeah. and missed a bunch of training camp, and he's making near 11 million bucks. He needed to be that close to Austin Matthews and clearly does view himself not that dissimilar from the best goal scorer since he stepped onto a na- uh, National Hockey League ice service in Austin Matthews. Those are the two guys that are on the ice at the end of warm-ups every single game, right? Like he and Matthews, yeah. those two guys, they get the stage to themselves. It changed when he signed that contract, I think. Does it change for William Nylander now that that it's not like, wow, what a sweetheart deal that ended up being it's, okay, you're making the second most money, and right now you lead the team in points. And a season ago, you were a 40-goal guy, and we'll see where the counting stats end up this year. And now you're playing over 20 minutes a game, and you're playing in all situations. But you're now asking – you're going to be compared to a guy who scored 61 goals a year yeah. ago. You're making more than him, David Pasternak. That is a really interesting point. And I find it kind of fascinating that you know, Nylander's going to get paid $11.5 million, but it feels like it's almost across Leafs Nation like – considered a success. And part of that is because of the the year he's having. I understand it, but he's getting a $5 million raise. And the, the amount that that hamstrings the team moving forward is not insignificant. Like we just talked to Gord about it. It's going to be really hard to build a team next year, but I do find it rather interesting that because it feels like the, the negotiations didn't play out in a difficult way. Yeah. Like they didn't feel like they were playing hardball necessarily like maybe they were maybe it was really tough in the boardroom but we don't know we knew about the mitch marner hardball yeah like we knew about the dad thing and how how it it wasn't pretty at times and that played out publicly and a lot of people turned on marner because of it i think he's still a beloved toronto maple leaf don't get me wrong but there is a subsection of the of the fan base anytime that mitch kind of goes through it they pile on i do think that if nylander goes through struggles He's not by any stretch going to be immune to that. He's going to be like any other guy that's making a lot of money in this market. If you struggle mm-hmm. making $11.5 million, people yeah. are going to come after you. Yeah. But right now, it's a pretty impressive approval rate. And I think a lot of that clearly has to do with the fact he's on pace for 120 points. But I'm almost a little bit surprised by the approval rate, to be honest. Oh, dude, I'm, I was just about to say the same thing. This is a guy that people, like, everybody's grandfather was, like, falling over themselves to criticize William Nylander if he went through, like, a shift where, like, oh, in he got beat. In the corner against oh, yeah. the Lightning in the playoffs. Sure. Like, just pull it up. I, I, it's hard to get that out of your mind. Well, but. And, and part of that is th- those are happening fewer and far right. between right now, right? Uh, there's a guy that's had a couple of tremendous point streaks this season. And also playing in all situations like he's being trusted uh in the the final moments of games and one goal games with empty nets um he's he's playing on the penalty kill 
right now. But no, the, the, the player has evolved tremendously. It's incredible to, to see where the perception has changed. And I think you're right to bring up the animosity that, that may have existed between, not animosity because they signed the player, but Mitch Marner pushed the Leafs. William Nylander pushed the Leafs first go around. Almost missed an entire season, and when he returned that season, mm-hmm. remember the discourse around him in his half a season that he played, and might have been his play might have been impacted by the fact that he didn't start the the year yeah. in the NHL. But yeah, that this is he's kind of put on a cool, calm, and collected uh, persona, a front, and it, I do view him as a guy that's unflappable. But you hear some of the comments about you know the the brief struggles he had last season, and he talks about hey, maybe the contract extension was playing on my mind, and I. Figured if I wrapped up the season with this insane point total, maybe we get this done in the offseason and and I, I can't allow that to enter my game this season. But he does he does have that air about him that it it doesn't feel like the outside stuff impacts him, which it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like mm-hmm. if you don't think anything's gonna affect you, it feels like people aren't ready to have things go outwardly that do affect you. Oh, such a good point. He's, he just seems like a, such a cool customer. Like, it's almost like it doesn't matter whatever happens in the negotiations. Like, he's completely unflappable. Mm-hmm. Like, I think back to that interview Elliot Friedman had with Nylander, uh, I believe it was over the summer. And he was asking him about the contract. And Nylander was just so chill. He gets his dogs with him. Like, mm-hmm. he was just, he's just a cool dude. And the fan base has kind of fallen in love with his personality. And they want to see him stick around, almost irrespective of what the cost is. Like, he's going to be the second highest paid winger in the National Hockey League, mm-hmm. if he signs for $11.5 million. Yeah. The second highest paid winger in the National Hockey League. And before this season, if you would have said that about William Nylander, you would have been completely laughed out of the room. Like, there's no chance that Nylander is going to be the second highest paid winger. But whatever he did in the gym over the summer or whatever motivation he had, like, he's he deserves it. Mm. He deserves to be the second highest paid winger to this point. The cap's gone up mm-hmm. and he's on pace for 120 points this season. Yep. But y- y- there will always be a part of me that's like, eh, eh, hopefully he keeps it up because if he doesn't, it could get ugly real quick. Yeah. And uh, like you said, though, I mean, this is Toronto. If you're getting paid that amount of money, if you're a star player on this team, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, you're going to hear it. But uh, so far, so good. And the the progression has been linear. 21, 22, 80 points, 87 points last year, and then on pace for more than 100 uh, this season. Uh, We'll see if uh, we get uh, some news today that he's signed a contract extension. All right. When we come back, Josh Allen. We got the full Josh Allen yesterday. Oh, did we ever. We got the the two uh, red zone and uh, end zone interceptions. We had the sack fumble. And we had the incredible comeback as uh, the Bills end up as the the two seed in the AFC. We'll get into the uh, final week of the NFL's regular season next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Jesse Rubinoff, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Show Sports Time 59 of the fan, Ben Ennis, alongside Jesse Rubinoff in for Brent Gunning. So how, how does the end of the NFL regular season make you feel, Jesse? Because like on the one hand, it's like, oh, it's sad. It is sad. <laughs> I, I like NFL it football. Is sad, yeah. The playoffs are awesome, of course. And now it's the the super wild card weekend, right? We get Saturday, Sunday, and Monday games on uh, on wild card weekend plus a day. So that's great. 
and then there's like the counter argument that like oh maybe we're we're like looking at spring sort of soon ish although it's like the the first week of of January how, how, where's where are your emotions at as we wrap up week 18 of the NFL season well it's, I think the word is bittersweet oh as it's just that's so that's it's two just words so um, is it yeah bittersweet it's not one word I think it just blew my mind no it has to be one word bittersweet Google it um. It's just, there's nothing like sitting down. You might be right. Is it one word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll go, we'll go to the judges. Uh, there's nothing like a Sunday that's a full slate. Like, it's just such a beautiful thing to be able to sit mm-hmm. down on the couch and turn, you know. Where red, does Scott Hansen go during the, the offseason? He just no goes idea. into it. Into the forest. Yeah. For, into a like, shed. Into a cave. Into yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a shed hibernate. for like six months. But it's just such a beautiful thing. Like, I love the NFL. Uh, so it's a little bit bittersweet in that sense, but man, like, do we have some games coming mm. up? Super mm. wild card weekend. Mm. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm sad to see the NFL season come to an end because it's so great, but like, it, it couldn't be a better slate of games coming up here. Yeah. Um, but let's look back to yesterday for a second here, yeah. or the weekend because the, you know, Saturday did impact it as well. Like bills could have punched their ticket if the, the Steelers had lost to the Ravens on Saturday, but they weren't going to do that with Tyler Huntley. They take care of business, get into the playoffs either way because the Jags stink and, and they lose to a Titans team with nothing to play for. And boy, Trevor Lawrence, I know he's going through it injury wise, but boy, uh, yeah. All, all, all the, <laughs> all the positive things being said about him and getting into the playoffs uh, last year, you, you can back the, the truck up a little bit uh, this season. But let's start with Josh Allen, right? Oh. And that Bills game, the Sunday nighter, which we knew even if they had punched their ticket into the playoffs was going to have supreme meaning. And by that, the time kickoff arrived, like I said, the the Jags losing to the Titans meant the Bills were going to be in there either way. But we're talking about a two seed or what a seven seed yep. for like that. And that's a massive, massive discrepancy here, right? We're, we're talking about going to Miami again for a return engagement or home game against, I think like across all the, the playoff teams that are in right now, unless you, you're going to make an argument for the bucks. Like I think the Steelers are the, the, the most gettable team that's left in the postseason, and you get that game at home in bad weather, which might actually not be beneficial to, to Josh Allen, the bills, but you get, Two end zone interceptions from Josh Allen. You get the fumble. You get so many points being left off the board in the football game. You got a seven-point deficit in the second half. And then, of course, the punt return touchdown ties the game up. But you also get the best Josh Allen. Like, that's... So, like, all the bad things that I saw on Twitter or X, whatever, in the in the first half of that football game, like, I hope those people... Like, I kept the receipts. I hope those people also... We're reversing their conversation in the second half of that football game. That's just, that's what life is rooting for Josh Allen. Absolutely. He's just a dude. Like he is going to do what he wants to do. He's going to play recklessly at times. And that is just what it is. At this point of his career, he ain't changing. So would you want him? I mean, you would, if he changed, like if he got rid of the, the turnover stuff, that he'd be the best quarterback in the league. Right. Yeah, so, so I, I shouldn't ask, would you want him to change it? Like, obviously, yeah, if you could just keep all the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff. But if he if he has to have the bad stuff to have the good stuff, you take it. Yes. However, there are, like, the two interceptions. Like, 
you just don't need to make those throws. Like the second one specifically. It's like, uh, what the heck are you doing? Actually, I was going to say the second one, like, okay, so it's it's fourth down too, right? So it acts as like an arm uh, punt. punt. Right? But like you're if, leaving points on the board. It would have been a field goal. No, that was on fourth down, oh, right? Yeah, sorry, so down, you yeah, actually right, gain yeah, yardage yeah. by throwing it the to the pot, end zone yeah. and getting picked off. So that one I, I feel differently about. But like, yeah, the fumble, the first, yeah. It just, it also doesn't look great. Also, is Josh Allen thinking about that? Is Josh Allen having the conversation in his mind as he's like leaning back and doing the fadeaway throw to the end zone? Hey, this is an arm punt. Like, probably not. No, it's you've seen, he takes risks. Like, that's just what the guy does. But that's why it's like, okay, if they go on a run here and win the Super Bowl, would you be surprised? No, because they have one of the great quarterbacks in the National Football League, despite some of his flaws. If they get, if they lose mm-hmm. to the Steelers because there's three Josh Allen turnovers, no would you TJ be surprised? Watt either apparently for the Steelers. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely huge. But if they lose because he has three or four turnovers, would you be surprised? No. No. Like that's just what the Bills are, and it's all traced back to Josh Allen. The guy is an otherworldly talent, but with that player comes risks that Mm -hmm. sometimes you ask yourself, like, why is this guy doing it? And it just is what he is as a player. And it gives you this whole wide range of possibilities with the Buffalo bills. Like they were six and six. Mm -hmm. I personally thought they were toast. Yeah. I thought there was no way they were going to make the playoffs. And now look at the the two seed. They had no tiebreakers, right? That's the thing. They had to go on this five game winning streak. They had to get to 11 wins to get into the playoffs, right? 10 wins wouldn't have done it for them. uh, It felt like, uh, ultimately, it, it would have been enough because of uh, because the the Jags end up losing. But no, they they needed to go on this incredible heater. So yet yeah, this that's the thing, right? Like this is we're not talking about a middling team. We're talking about a team that's the two seed in the NFL, a team that was 13 seconds away from an AFC Championship game with Josh Allen, mm-hmm. a not dissimilar Josh Allen, right? The ceiling is a Super Bowl, totally, because of Josh Allen, and with that comes the occasional brain fart and it's just the way you got to live with it like would you would you rather have like you know some Alex Smith type quarterback that's not going to give you this upside but is not going to turn the ball over no. like obviously not no this is and it makes the Bills and him in particular one of the most exciting watches in all of the totally. NFL totally it's the watchability is through the roof but it, it really is the most bizarre thing because you have this guy that has these like moments where like dude what are you doing and yet the only guy really with a who was a threat to win MVP other than Lamar Jackson in the last three weeks of the season, probably you can make an argument was Josh Allen. Yeah. And it's like, how can the two things coexist at the same time? How can you have a guy that has this incredible talent, is one of the best players in the league, an MVP candidate, but also a guy who you're literally afraid of what he's going to do mm-hmm. on 50% of the dropbacks in the game? Like, it's the weirdest juxtaposition you can have in football. But you're right. The upside is there. Like, Go on a run, win the Super Bowl, nobody would be surprised. Lose wildcard weekend, nobody would be surprised. It just is what it is. I think, okay, so it was a circuitous route for the Bills to get to where they are. Ultimately, the two seed in the AFC, like who's surprised at that? I think everybody would have thought maybe the Chiefs are the one seed in the AFC if you were drawing it up. Hey, That's Bills, right. Bills is two in the AFC. Well, it's, or it's the Bengals, right, with healthy Joe Burrow. Um, but they're where they should be. And you look at the field in the AFC, and I, I get it, like Patrick Mahomes still exists, but we've all watched that Chiefs team all season long, and, and maybe they figure it out, and and maybe, you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling learns how to catch footballs uh, in the postseason. I, 
That looks like a very flawed team. The Ravens, I get it. They've been a juggernaut basically all season long. Lamar Jackson has one playoff victory in his entire career. I, my whole take today, if if the Bills needed that win last night to get into the playoffs, it was that like this was kind of the wake up call they needed. And it, it, there, there's no question that some of the pressure was taken off the Bills going into that football For sure. game, right? Like For sure. it, 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 it had to have been a different feeling. But it almost does feel like this is their 2004 Red Sox moment, where like up against mm. it, right? Like it, this was not easy, and many people wrote them off, and rightly so. And they had to go on a five-game winning streak to wrap up the season to get into the playoffs. This this feels like it's all breaking the Bills' way finally to get through. I'm sure Bills fans are screaming their radios right now because, yeah, they, they felt like they were right there for a myriad of seasons before this. Um, but, yeah, it, it's hard not to look at the playoff teams in the AFC and, and – like, who can't they beat? They can beat anybody. Yeah, they're pretty well-rounded. I think that's the thing. Obviously, they've had a ton of injuries on defense, yeah. but they have playmakers on the defensive side, and their offense is incredibly dynamic. Yeah, when they go back and make the documentary, they're going to look you know, at the offensive coordinator change as sort of the, the rallying moment for, for everything in this season. But yeah, I don't think the AFC is that good. Like, I, we talked about the Bills last night and the Josh Allen turnovers and all that. Like, how did Miami only score 14 points? Yeah. Like, what the heck has happened to them? Yeah, Tyreek Hill's not 100%. But they're they're still, very banged up, but they haven't looked right in a no long model. time. Like, this is a team that's worth 70 points yeah. in an NFL game God. this season. The NFL season is, like, it's a game longer, but it, it is now, like, interminably long. Like, at that point, yeah, the Dolphins are the best offense in the history of the NFL, and the Broncos are. They're, this is, like, Sean Payton has screwed himself signing up for this job, and the money's great, but boy, Sean Payton, you're going to look back and say, yeah. this, this was a mistake for my legacy. All of a sudden, like, he ended up as one of the best coaching hires by the end of the season, and the Dolphins are very much frauds. That's It's such a good point. <laughs> I definitely got caught throughout this season. I mean, we're so involved in the NFL. I love the NFL. I watch every game, all that. I definitely, I think, am guilty of not realizing how long the season is. Right. Like, 18 weeks feels like it should be short. Yeah. But if you look at some of these teams individually, they have gone through absolute roller coasters of the season. The two that played last night are perfect examples. The Bills were a disaster until they make the offensive coordinator change. The Dolphins scored 70 points at one point. Now the they're Eagles banged up. Were score. Unbeatable. The, the Eagles were the by... Eagles are the best example. Oh my God. The Eagles were uh, it was I mean at the time they were ten and one. People were saying, ah, you know, they haven't had pretty wins, but they're ten and one. Like what yeah, what else is argue. there really to say? How can you argue that? Nick Sirianni might get fired if they lose on Monday night. Like that's how, that's how bad it's been. Yeah. So they are the perfect example of a t of how the NFL season might seem like it's short, but mm -hmm. man, things can really change. Like they are so I, I, they are so bad. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm not sure if you put them up against the Panthers mm -hmm. tomorrow that mm -hmm. they would win easily. Mm -hmm. Well, the Panthers are really bad. <laughs> Who's the second? Who's the second worst team in the NFL? Well, I mean, like, yeah, you, the Giants are on the short list of the right. <laughs> worst teams they in the NFL. They lost to Arizona the week before that. Yeah, and I know it's like yeah, it ended up being meaningless, and you could have envisioned that the Cowboys <laughs> were going to take care of business against Washington. It didn't. Like the Eagles needed something to feel good about going into the postseason. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't go into that game like resting the starters, thinking it was meaningless. And they just got their heads caved in. Like, I, I guess the, the Patriots are pretty bad too. Maybe the Commanders, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually not sold on any of these teams uh, losing to the Eagles yeah. the, the way that they look. Like, they're 
their claim to fame is a one-yard quarterback sneak. Yeah. Like, that is the thing that they've become known she, for. Like, week to week, I still am, like, more and more impressed the Eagles are able to accomplish at the rate that it's they do. It's like, right? like the, crazy to watch. The, the Bills can't do it, yeah. although they might have yesterday. God, I can't believe in the year 2024 we're, we're, there's still no technology to, to determine the in the ball. whether the, yeah. the where the ball is. And, you know, we got... I mean, it's a two-pronged thing, right? We got, like, old guys looking at where the ball is through a mass of 100 bodies, and then another set of old guys getting, you know, the archaic chains out and and measuring whether it's a first down that way is hilarious. But, yeah, no, it's it's incredible. The Eagles, yeah, okay, it's not the one thing you want to be known for, but it is incredible they were able to accomplish it. Uh, that being said, they have, I think, the second-weakest playoff team, like, like who's it's it's to me it's 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 the Bucks and Steelers and the Steelers have a negative point differential, <laughs> which is a, a, yeah. Tomlin's the greatest coach of all time. Like actually, <laughs> he he is on honestly on the short list. I don't even think that that's hyperbole. I think he's on the short list of greatest coaches of a generation for sure. Mason Rudolph has went three and zero down the stretch to get them into the playoffs. The guy doesn't have losing seasons. Mm-hmm. Like this team, if you would have watched the Steelers at. Any point of the season, including the last three weeks, and you would have said this team is a playoff team? No. If, if you would have taken away their record, you would have been like, this team stinks. And I would have said, please don't let them into the playoffs. Right. Because <laughs> it's an eyesore. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing exciting about them. But it's remarkable that Mike Tomlin is able to get these guys to play and win. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's not pretty. No, the defense obviously is a plays a major role, and and TJ Watt's a fantastic football player. But t- that collection of guys, t- offensively, three quarterbacks, and now they're going to have a shot against the Bills on Sunday? It's an unbelievable testament to Mike Tomlin uh, as an NFL head coach. But, yeah, the, the, the Bills, a good draw for the Bills. And, th- and it underscores how important last night was. Yeah, it was massive as opposed to going to into Miami and trying to beat a team. I don't care how bad a team is and how much better you are than that team. Beating yeah. them three times in a season, well, I guess in, in the scenario in which they're playing them, it would not have been a third time. But either way, no, a much better matchup uh, for the Bills despite the fact that, like, that is a team that I think, uh, given their druthers, would like to play in a controlled environment. Yes, definitely. It's probably, yeah. I, I, although the running game has been a little bit, you know, under Joe Brady has been a little more emphasized. Um, the, the Packers are the youngest team ever to qualify for the postseason. It's, so listen, we're not putting Jordan Love in the Hall of Fame yet, obviously. Aaron Rodgers is gone. Brett Favre's there. Like, those those are two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It is hilarious that they played this out perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, who would have thought taking a quarterback in the first round when they did and, and still having, you know, souring Aaron Rodgers on the franchise, but not to the point at which he said, get me the hell out of here. He won an MVP after them. Right? Yeah. And then getting out at the perfect time where he missed the playoffs last year, losing to the Lions in the final game of the regular season, and handing the reins over to a guy who got to to watch a Hall of Fame quarterback in front of him. Re- like this, if the Packers miss the playoffs this year, I mean, who's going to fault them, right? Like that's, that's you have the youngest team in the NFL or one of the youngest teams. Again, this is, okay, if Jordan Love looked like he was taking steps in the right direction, not only is he taking steps in the right direction, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for the last like month. He has like, does he have a, a pick over the last month? I think it's, if he has one, it's one. And now he's into the postseason. Everything's gravy at this point. It's just like some franchises just can't get it right at that position. I know the Browns are in with, with Joe Flacco, but like look around the NFL, how many teams would be dying for like one generational quarterback mm-hmm. over the last 40 years? And the Packers 
may have three now. It's crazy from a mechanics perspective how similar he looks to Rodgers and you know, Favre. It's just right. crazy how they they mimic each other after you know spending so much time with each other uh, over the years. They are another perfect example of uh, what we just talked about, a, a team where you don't realize how long the season is. Because they started, I believe it was two and five, mm-hmm. and then they ended up winning six of their final eight games and are as hot really as anybody. And I think they're going to be a problem for a long, long time because you look at the receiving core, they've had a ridiculous amount of injuries this season. It feels like every other week, Christian Watson's hurt or uh, Jaden Reed is hurt or whoever it may be. And all these guys are young and they have like five or six receivers that are just interchangeable, stepping up week in week out. And they're all so young. Like this is a team that's going to be around for a really long time. And oftentimes with teams that are super young, they come into the postseason, don't have a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. Like the pressure is going to be entirely on the Dallas Cowboys 100%. in this game. And uh, I don't know with Mike McCarthy going up against the former team, like that's a little sketchy for me. Like if things go South early in that game, it's going to get real spicy. Yeah. Um, Let's for a second here look at the the slate for super wildcard weekend. Usually there's like one obvious stinker, right? Like, and maybe you would point to the Browns Texans as being one. I would I like CJ Stroud is playing a football game. No, thanks. Like that's not a stinker. Like, not at all. no. <laughs> and no. again, Flacco, talking about the he's elite. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, you got the, the Joe Flacco of it all. And, and that incredible Browns defense. Like there's just, there's no stinkers. Like for the first time in recent memory um, at all especially this weekend, like, yeah, we understand like next weekend and conference finals are always like great, great matchups. There's not a single stinker among them. What's, what's the one matchup though, that has you most uh, geeked up for this weekend. It's gotta be the Rams and lions. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, it's, it's really hard to choose, but I, I gotta go Rams lions, just the, the Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. I think people are always like, they're focusing in on right. Stafford going up against the Lions, but you forget that was a swap and Jared Goff, Jared Goff went the other way also. I think what's unfortunate is that those are two teams that I think can give the Niners a run for their money and one of them's going to end up losing that game. Like if you think uh, of teams that are dynamic enough to really make a run, to me, the Rams and the Lions both come to mind. I, I, I'd i be concerned if I'm the Lions oh, in this game. Like I think they're in some Poor trouble Lions. and it's not because it's not because they're they're bad or anything like that. They're a really good football team, but their defense is pretty poor at times. And the Rams offense has been clicking for about two months now mm-hmm. when the Cooper cup came back and he hasn't been the same player necessarily, but Puka Nakua's emergence yeah. has taken a big Most time load off of Cooper cup by rookie, rookie ever. Yeah. And they're just, they're dynamic and they're almost as dynamic as the lions are offensively and they're better defensively. So uh, it's not a great matchup for the Detroit lions. If I was going to draw up like the perfect situation for a team to go into the postseason, I guess it would be like undefeated and, and really, really like undeniably great. But secondarily to that, it would be a team that's already got a championship uh, under their belt, like is playoff tested, like has that pedigree and not Puka Nakua, obviously. But Matthew Stafford, he's been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, head coach. Yeah, that's uh, a great point. That's been there, done that. But going in to a road situation, like on the road, underdogs, and like if they lose, eh, no big deal, like no pressure on them, mm-hmm. as opposed to a Lions team. Oh, I understand this is their first gig of the can in the postseason. But yeah, I, it was a 12-win team. And man, that Cowboys loss standing out extremely like especially if they lose this game to a, a not a great matchup like yeah that could have been the difference uh in playoff matchups That's for right. them no it's it's a not exactly the the playoff team that i would if i'd be drawing 
if uh, if I had my choice as a, a Lions fan. What's your pick? Honestly, I I, I know this this is has the potential to be a stinker uh, and a couple of teams, especially down the stretch, didn't look so great and a game that's only available via streaming in the United States mm-hmm. of America. But I, I think from a narrative standpoint, there's a lot to like about the Chiefs hosting the Dolphins. We saw this once already this season uh, in Germany, right? And yeah. it took an incredible comeback, but that was a great game. Like, I I just want to see if if the Chiefs have postseason magic, if that, that's in there. If, like, if Patrick Mahomes can do it with this ramshackle receiving core, like whether Travis Kelsey can can reemerge and you know, oh, he's been bad. He's been really bad. Really bad. I, I yeah, I don't know. The, the, those are two teams that could potentially be involved in a shootout. I, I know the Chiefs have their issues offensively, but the Dolphins and I don't know. Is that another week? Are they a little healthier? Is Tyreek Hill look like himself? I, I like that one in Arrowhead with the great environment. Imagine like 10 weeks ago telling yourself that the Dolphins and Chiefs were going to play A, in the first round mm-hmm. of the postseason, and B, that it's potentially not going to be a shootout. Like right. You would think it's like a slam dunk mm-hmm. that it's going to be, you know, 36 to 30 in mm-hmm. that game. And it's just not anymore. Yeah. Like they're the dolphins on their side are banged up. The chiefs obviously have a ton of question marks offensively. It feels like, like you just said, like it feels like it's up to Mahomes finding some mm-hmm. magic. I'm like not, he has in the past. Cause they're just not that good anymore. No, but I'm not going to discount him until I see it. Like right. until I see him not make an AFC championship game, which yeah. hasn't happened yet. I'm not counting the Chiefs out. All right, time now for uh, The Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Let's start with some hockey on Sportsnet tonight at MSG. It is a couple of the best teams in all of the NHL. The Rangers hosting the Canucks. Mm. And uh, the Rangers favorites, naturally, in this one, minus 143 at home. The Canucks plus 120. The total is six and a half, Jesse. I like the Canucks in this spot. Yeah, I get that the Rangers are a good team at home, but the Canucks are just a really good team, period. First in the Pacific. And it's amazing what a, a coaching change can do from year to year, right? They start the year, yeah. Rick Toggin. He's been unbelievable. This is a team, I think, that always had potential. Mm-hmm. Even last year when they were struggling immensely. But now you've seen the potential play out in front of you. The Quinn Hughes emergence Elias Pettersson has gotten even better. JT Miller rejuvenated. They're a really, really good team. And I know it's just one game against the Rangers here, but I like them uh, getting plus money. I like that one. I, I like the under. I mean, the Canucks just put up, what, uh, six goals on Hockey Night in Canada against the Devils. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oftentimes you see a step back after that. Uh, unlikely for the Canucks to put up a big goal total as well. So give me the under six and a half at minus 110. couple of NBA games on Sportsnet tonight. You got the... Rockets in Miami to play the Heat. The uh, spread uh, Heat favored by four and a half total, two nineteen and a half for uh, the Miami Heat in this game. Rockets are kind of sneaky. Yeah, I-, I think people sleep on the Rockets because of their history and how they've been bad for quite some time now. But I mean, say what you will about Fred VanVleet on the Toronto Raptors. Like, man, he's he's found a home in Houston with a young team that is really starting to find themselves. And four and a half, like I think the Rockets can go in there and win that game. So I, I like the spread, uh, getting four and a half points uh, for the Rockets. They're a lot better than people think they are. All right, I'll take the other side of it. Yeah, the Rockets have been a different team on the road uh, as opposed to uh, at home this season. So uh, I'll lay the points with the Heat at minus 
four and a half. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, was there an opportunity for Bradtree Living to lock up William Nylander at less than the potentially 11 and a half million per over eight years that he's going to? Uh, We'll talk to Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Jesse Rubinoff, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.